Do you remember the last disagreement that you had with somebody? Who was it with? Was it with your spouse or maybe your kids or maybe someone at work, maybe even your boss? Well, this morning, I want to tell you about the first disagreement that I had as a married man. So Jill and I were less than a month into our marital bliss when we came across our first fight. You see, we went to make dinner, and we decided that night to make macaroni and cheese. And that's where the conflict happened. You see, we had different ideas on how to prepare macaroni and cheese. Now, I want to be clear here, this wasn't some, like, secret family recipe. We were arguing about how to prepare craft macaroni and cheese. You see, there's two different perspectives here, and I'll avoid using names to protect the innocent. But one perspective is, well, you just follow the directions on the box. It's super easy, and it turns out perfect. Just do it that way. But there's also another perspective that actually, you don't want to follow them exactly. That actually, especially when it comes to the milk, you just feel it. You just eyeball it. Maybe you don't put as much, or maybe some people like putting more. It's the more artistic approach, the more professional chef way of making mac and cheese. And so there we were, and, and it may seem silly, but like this was a serious issue with us. I'm not, I'm not joking. We, we were in a fight about this, and luckily it didn't last too long. We were able to figure it out pretty quickly and and, and get over it. We we don't still argue about this. But I remember receiving some advice early on around that time. that said, you know, Ryan, if your wife is willing to make you dinner, don't complain about how she makes it. Just be thankful. Pretty good advice. But what happens, what do we do when we get in disagreements with each other? That's what Romans 14 is addressing here today. And as we head into Romans 14, I want to I remind you of the bigger picture of Romans because that'll help you see how we get to Romans 14 and why it's so important that Paul brings this up in this chapter. So be thinking about the big picture of Romans. Remember, he's writing to a church that has some disagreements. They're divided. They're not all on the same page. And he wants, he wants to encourage them to be united and to be together in their faith. And so he spends the first 11 chapters talking about what they should believe. These are the essential doctrines. This is what to believe in the faith. Making sure they're on the same page about what to believe. And then you get to chapters 12 through 16 and it's all about what you do. Out of, that, out of what you believe, here is now how you live as a follower of Jesus. And as I reflected back on chapters 12 and 13, I realized that, that chapters 12 and 13 are really addressing primary issues of how to live as a follower of Jesus. These are the essentials. These are the big deal things. In chapter 12, he's talking about presenting your body as a living sacrifice. He's talking about how we serve God and how we relate to one another. These are really important things. And then we get into chapter 13, and we find these these other essentials like how we interact with government. And he ends chapter 13. This is right before we get into our passage today in 14. He ends it with, with these two verses, 13 and 14. He says, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. There's no room for different opinions on, on that right there, right? There's no, well, you know, I honor God this way and I honor God this way. No, these are, these are essential ways, non-negotiable ways that we follow Jesus. But this leads us to another question. 
what about all these other things? What about all these other issues that maybe aren't as important? Maybe they're not primary. Maybe they're secondary issues. Because we don't all agree on everything, do we? Even in this church, there's some disagreements on how to follow Jesus. Some of you, I noticed, you came in this morning and you're a little more dressed up. You're wearing a dress shirt, maybe even a tie or a nice dress or skirt. And for you, dressing up on Sunday morning is a way that you honor God and you think that, yeah, I think it's right to dress up on Sunday morning. Others of you are dressed more casual. And for you, that's your way of honoring God is by dressing more casual on Sunday morning. What about worship music? Some of you would really like to go back to the more traditional hymns. You would really like if we brought back an organ, right? While others of you would really like to see an electric guitar up on stage. We have some different thoughts on how to worship. Who's right? Who's wrong? Some of you, last night with your dinner, you enjoyed a nice craft beer or a glass of wine. Others of you have never let a drop of alcohol pass your lips. Vaccines, COVID vaccine is a, is a big issue today. Some of you have already gotten your COVID vaccine or you've scheduled it. Others of you wouldn't get a vaccine if they paid you a million dollars. So what do we do? Who's right? Who's wrong? How do we deal with these disagreements that we have? Well, let's see what Romans 14 tells us about this. We're going to read the first six verses. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. What's going on here? What's the answer to our question? I would summarize these verses right here with this statement. Don't judge each other, but rather seek to honor God in whatever you do. Now, I want to be clear, we're not talking about these primary issues. I've already alluded to this as we talked about chapter 12 and 13. These aren't the big deal things. If someone has a different idea on who Jesus is or how to be saved, or maybe they're engaged in some of that sexual immorality and drunkenness, yeah, we need to talk about that. We, we, need, to, we need to figure that out. No, here we're talking about secondary issues. And, and he gives some examples here, and this first example will help us understand what he's talking about. He's talking about food. He says here, One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Now, this isn't just a vegetarian versus meat eater kind of argument. Remember who he's talking to. This is a church that is divided. And what line are they divided on? Largely Jew and Gentile. And and it's not just about eating meat, but it's about eating meat sacrificed to idols. So I want you to imagine that you have grown up in the Jewish faith. So you've grown up your whole life honoring God by not eating certain things. And now you've become a follower of Jesus. 
And, and maybe you've heard something about how he declared all things clean, but you're not sure about that, and, and, and you're not ready to give that up. That's a way that you honor God is by not eating certain things, and so you're not going to start eating those. You can honor God that way. Well, on the other hand, maybe you grew up as a Gentile, and there was no problem. You could eat whatever you want, no issue there, no right and wrong with what you eat. And now you've become a follower of Jesus. And although you've heard that some people choose to eat differently, for the most part, you haven't heard that you need to follow that. And so you continue being thankful and, to God for all of the wonderful food in the world, and you eat it with thankfulness. No problem. Now, that sounds great, right? No problem. People can have different views, different opinions. But what happens when they go to the same church and you show up for Sunday potluck? What do you do? Well, Paul tells us here, actually, what we don't do. He uses two very strong words, despise and judgment. So he says here, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So we got these two words here, and, and they're very intentional. And as you think about how we live as human beings together, how we interact with each other, they make a lot of sense. You see, when you feel that you have freedom in an area, you feel that you can do certain things, you have freedom, um, but then somebody comes along and they don't, they hold, themselves, they hold themselves to a different standard. What happens when you see that? Oftentimes, we feel threatened by their viewpoint. Right? Because they think I'm wrong. We, we like it when people agree with us because it affirms our own beliefs. But when somebody disagrees, we start to question ourselves, we start to wonder, we start to get defensive, and even to the point where we could end up despising or hating that person. Because it's like they're spitting on what I believe on my lifestyle. On the other hand, maybe you hold yourself to a higher standard. Maybe you feel constrained by your conscience to live a certain way. And when somebody is not following that, another believer is, is living more freely, what do you do? You judge them, right? Christians are really good at judging other people, unfortunately. But that's that natural response. And so Paul is saying here, don't despise each other. Don't judge each other. Why? What happens to a church when we're sitting around all day despising and judging each other? Does that work very well? Is that an effective, healthy church? No. That doesn't work. So, don't despise each other. Don't judge each other. But let each of you be fully convinced in his own mind and honor God in everything that you do. And this really gets down to the main point of it. He says it here. Honor God in everything that you do. The one who eats, eats to honor God. The one who doesn't, the one who abstains from eating, does that to honor God. You see, the motivation here is how can I bring glory to God? How can I honor God in everything that I do? Can you honor God with what you wear to church? Some of you say, yeah, I'm going to honor God by dressing up, looking a little bit nicer than I usually do for church, because that's my way of honoring God. And that's great. There's no problem with that. Honor God in that way, as long as it's not about you feeling better than everybody else. In the same way, if you want to dress casually to church, do that to honor God. What about worship music? See, the funny thing about this is, is we have our preferences. We like certain songs or certain styles better than others. The problem is, it's not about us. It's about God. We shouldn't be asking, do I like this song or not? We should be asking, can I honor God? Can I glorify him by singing this song today? It's not about us. 
It's about him. You can honor God by drinking alcohol. Receive it with thanksgiving and honor him with that. If you choose not to drink alcohol, honor God with that choice. This big question of the vaccine. Should you get it? Should you not get it? Ask yourself the question, how can I honor God with this decision? Because ultimately, we stand or fall before Jesus, regardless of what other people think about us. And we will stand because he can hold us up. We're accountable to God. So seek to honor him in everything that you do. What do you think? Can we stop there? Go home? That sound good? This reminds me of the, of the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And if we were truly able to do that, we wouldn't need anything else. Right? That's, that's all of the law right there. Loving God with everything in us. The problem is we're not great at doing that first one, are we? So Jesus says, and the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And I want you to think about that, love your neighbor as yourself, as we read the next section. We're going to read verses 13 through 15 now. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. See, we need to consider other people around us. Certainly, we should honor God in everything that we do, but we've got to look around and see who's there as well. He goes back to this, this example of, of eating. So I want you to imagine this. You are fully convinced that you can eat the meat sacrificed to idols. It's not a big deal. You know that it's, it's false gods. It's not real. You can enjoy it. No problem. But let's say you go out to eat with a fellow Christian, and you know that they're, they're not convinced that way. And In fact, they, they don't eat the meat sacrificed to idols because they, they believe it's wrong for them to do that. So when it, gets, when it comes time to order, what do you do? Do you order the Zeus steak? Or do you abstain from it? What do you think? You can give up your freedom for that one night for the sake of your brother or sister in Christ. It's going to cause them a stumbling block. It's going to cause them to go against their conscience for you to sit there and eat that in front of them. Can you give that up? For their sake. And that's where we see the real point of what's going on in this second section here. It's better to give up your freedom for the sake of a fellow Christian rather than cause them to go against their conscience. I think a really good example for us today is alcohol. You may be fully convinced you can drink responsibly, you have no problem with it, no big deal. But you go out to eat with somebody and you know that they don't drink alcohol. So do you order a beer with dinner? Now, sometimes circumstances, maybe they just don't like the taste of alcohol. There's no moral objection. It's not a big deal. But, but what if it's more than that for them? Or what if you're not sure what the deal is with them? Can you give up your freedom to drink a beer that night for the sake of somebody else? One of the, things, one of the tricky things with alcohol is a lot of times people's present view on it is shaped by their past experience. Maybe they are an alcoholic or were an alcoholic. Maybe they had family members that were alcoholics. 
and that by drinking a beer in front of them could not be good. It could cause them to relapse. It could cause them to relive some of these horrible memories. Are you willing to give that up for the sake of a brother or sister in Christ? Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. You see that strong language he uses there? Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Be willing to give up your preferences for the sake of others. What about clothes we wear to church? We've been talking about this a little bit. Imagine that you have a friend who just became, they're they're a brand new believer, and you're going to bring them to church for the first time. And maybe... Maybe for some reason they're convinced that they need to really dress up for church. They need to put on the three-piece suit with the tie and, and they really need to look their best at church that Sunday. And maybe you know that here at Brush Prairie, most people dressed more casually. They're going to stand out a little bit, maybe dressed like that. What could you do that week for them? You could put on the suit too and sit next to them so they're not alone, right? Or maybe on the other side, maybe you go to a church that does really dress up a lot and you know that this person has never worn a suit in their life. Could you rock the jeans and the t-shirt that week for their sake? Could you give up some of that freedom that you have for the sake of another person? Vaccines. We often think about ourselves when we think of these things. You may be fully convinced that you don't need a vaccine. Maybe you're even convinced that you shouldn't get a vaccine. But what happens if there's someone around you that isn't? Maybe there's someone around you that is fearful of COVID. They're not sure. They, and, and really, if you're not going to get the vaccine, they don't want to be around you anymore. Could you give up your right to not get the vaccine for the sake of that other person? Could you give up your rights for somebody else? And notice, who has the obligation to, to give up their rights for the sake of the other person? Who has the responsibility to care for the other brother? It's always the one who has more freedom. He says it here in Romans 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now, don't get tripped up by the strong and the weak language. If, if this causes you to feel pride about being the stronger Christian, then you're missing the point. That's, that's not it. Don't sit there drinking your beer, unvaccinated, laughing at people who won't drink alcohol and get vaccines, okay? That's, that's not the point of this. If you feel that you have the freedom, that's, you're the one who has the opportunity to give up some of that freedom for the sake of a brother or sister in Christ. And that's what we're called to do. Don't judge each other. Honor God in everything that you do, but not in a way that causes other believers to stumble. But there's something else going on here that really gets to the core of what we want to understand from Romans 14 today. So let's read verses 17 through 19. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. The kingdom of God is not a manner, matter of eating and drinking. Let me tell you a story. About a year and a half ago, I had the opportunity to go with several other people in the church on a trip to Israel. And it was an awesome trip and we learned so much. One of the unexpected things that I learned on that trip, though, was a little more about kosher food laws. Remember, we've been talking about this some this morning, that Jews don't eat certain things. And so I got to learn a little more of that by being in Israel. For the most, before that, I didn't know a whole lot, mostly just that you can't eat bacon. 
Um, and so we were at a hotel. And at this hotel, not only did we get breakfast every day, but we also got dinner. And they, it was run by Jewish people that adhered to the kosher food laws. And so we got to experience some of that. And one of the things that I learned is that you don't eat meat and dairy together. You don't eat them at the same time, not even during the same meal. And so we would show up for breakfast in the morning, and there would be yogurt and milk and cheese, but no meat. And then for dinner, we'd show up, and there would be meat, but there wouldn't be any dairy. Now, this didn't really seem like a big deal. I don't usually put meat in my yogurt, and so, sorry, that was a little too far. (laughs) But then as we're sitting around the table one night, eating and, and talking with some others, we came to a horrifying realization Under kosher food observance, there's no such thing as a cheeseburger. The dairy and the meat doesn't work. Not only that, you throw in the no bacon thing. And I realize that that most Jewish people have never had the joy of experiencing a bacon cheeseburger with extra bacon. So can you guess the first thing that I ate when we landed in the airport in America? Oh, yeah. I had a way too expensive but oh-so-delicious bacon cheeseburger. So there we are sitting around that table coming to this horrifying realization. And it it gave us an idea. This is an opportunity for the gospel. We could use this in evangelism. I mean, just imagine. You go up to somebody. Have you heard the gospel? Let me tell you the good news. Jesus died so that you could eat a bacon cheeseburger. I mean, what do you think? That's effective evangelism, right? That, that, that's going to work every time. Okay, so, so we were joking around. We, we weren't being serious. We were just having fun. But it wasn't until I was going through Romans chapter 14 that it really hit me how wrong we were. And there's two big issues here. The first one, remember, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. If your motivation for coming to faith in Jesus is bacon cheeseburgers... You're missing the point. That's not the gospel. In fact, I would go so far to say is that's a false gospel. That should not be your motivation to coming to faith in Jesus. And also, as we've been talking about in this chapter, that would actually, if, if you approached a Jewish person with that, it would probably just create a stumbling block for them. Remember, this is their way of honoring God by not eating bacon cheeseburgers. And by putting that in front of them, that just is going to cause a stumbling block between them and the gospel, between them and Jesus. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What is this about? You see, we are righteous in Christ, that righteousness that comes from Christ, and that leads to then peace with God and with each other. Because of our righteousness in Jesus, we have peace with God, we have peace with each other, and that leads to true joy. Unfortunately, most of the time, though, we think that our joy comes from asserting our rights and getting our preferences. I just want you to imagine if if I gave you a piece of paper and you wrote down all your preferences, all the things that you want in life on that piece of paper, you would think that if I just had those things, that would bring me true joy. But what do we actually find? The truth is, true joy is found in giving up those things for the sake of one another. That that's when we have peace with God, peace with each other, and that's when we have true joy. 
You see, if we sit around in the church all day arguing about what to eat and drink, what clothes to wear, whether or not to wear masks, those kinds of things, aren't we missing the point of what it's all about? If Jill and I sit around arguing about how to make macaroni and cheese, aren't we missing out on the love and unity of a good marriage that that mac and cheese can never bring us? What about parents who spend all their time arguing rather than raising their kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Aren't you missing out on what it means to be a parent? I mean, this applies to everything. Every, every business and organization out there, when you're focused on fighting on the inside, you're missing out on what you're actually supposed to be doing. And the same thing happens with us as believers. The same thing happens within the church. Don't be focused inward on being right or wrong. What do we need to focus on? We need to focus on the gospel. That's what this is all about. It's not a matter of eating and drinking. It's about the good news, this message of the good news that even though I was dead in my sins, God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross in my place so that I could be reunited with him forever. And that's what we need to make this all about is that gospel message, not fighting about petty things. It's all about the gospel. I want to invite the worship team to come on up now as we, as we close this, this message. But I want to ask you a question. What would it look like if, you actually, if we actually followed, Rome, if we actually lived out Romans 12, 1 through 2? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're going to end this message a little bit differently today, because you see, presenting your body as a living sacrifice means putting aside your preferences, releasing your rights, changing your choices, discarding your judgments, It means living for the Lord of lords, loving the least, and dying to your destructive desires. What will you do? Will you honor God with all you do, or will you live for yourself? Will you love your brother and sister in Christ? Or will you deny the hold that he has on your life? Will you say to Jesus, take my life, my mind It's yours. Or will you say, my life is mine and slam the door? It's up to you. As for me, I will say, take my life, a living sacrifice. Let go my rights and share the light. Hold freely my freedom, lest I become a heathen, destroying my brother when I most need him. Love God in all you do. And love your brother, he needs it too. Jesus preferred to live, but that day he died. Not a living, but an atoning sacrifice. Amen?